You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible-teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of the Psalms of Ascent. We're calling On the Road to Worship. With this week's message, here's Senior Pastor Lance Bourgeois. Several years ago, I got a chance to learn a phrase. It's one of those things that feels like a gift, right? When somebody offers you some insight that helps you process life. I had one of those moments when somebody used this phrase with me, gap analysis. Now, maybe all of you being smarter than me, maybe you are well-versed in what that meant. It was an opportunity to meet, for me to learn something new. And it wasn't that individually those words were significant. It was the whole concept that came together. The idea was this, gap analysis. If I'm here and I want to get here, there's a gap that exists between the two. And so the process for me is if I'm here and I want to get here, I need to evaluate what that gap is. And so then the next step, right, is to inventory your assets. What are the things that you have that could help bridge that gap? So when we have those moments, for me, it was like, man, I apply this everywhere in my life now, okay? So where am I? Where do I want to be? And what's it going to take to get from A to B? How do I do it? What do I have? What do I need to bring into the equation? When we come to our passage this morning, I think we're going to see the psalmist, and I will go back and forth between calling the author of this psalm the psalmist or the pilgrim. And it's Psalm 121. I'd encourage you to open up your copy of Scripture, whether or not you have a hard copy of it. If you want a hard copy, we've got them available on carts in the back of the room. Or if you want to open up on the Version app or the Church Center app or a digital Bible app, that would be great. I think what we're going to see in this psalm today is that this pilgrim who is going on this psalm of ascent as an obedient follower of Christ is going to worship as was prescribed for them to do. And he gets to the point in time where I think anxiety begins to take over in him. And he has this moment where I think he looks and says, this is where I am, this is where I want to be, and there's a gap that exists between those two things. So he has to ask himself the question, how am I going to get from here to here when there's a gap? And so that's where we're going to begin. In this psalm, you've already heard us do this as a a responsive reading. There's a a shift that happens in the psalm. I'm going to tell you now so that you can listen to it when I read in a minute. Verses 1 and 2 are an individual. The pronouns are in first person. You're going to hear the, the pronoun I, okay? But then what's going to happen is the next six verses are going to appear in couplets, two verses at a time, and there's three of them. And the pronouns change. So we go from being first person, I, into second person, where there's a response that says, you, which leads us to believe or understand that as this pilgrim is going to worship, is that he's asking some questions of himself. He gets an answer, but then he's got some other people that are walking alongside him, whether they're priests or fellow pilgrims, we don't know, but that they are answering or echoing back some truths about God. And so it's against that backdrop, I invite you to listen to the psalm again. Psalm 121, verse 1, a song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now the pronoun shift. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel 
will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Hear the pronoun shift? It appears that we've got a pilgrim going on this journey, and he has this moment. And as we follow the flow of thought, he begins with this idea, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Now, we talked about this as is when you would go up to Jerusalem is that you would always be going up. God in his provision for his people put them in a great space. Is all around Jerusalem is a valley. And then on the outside of that valley are another range of hills or small mountains, most of which are taller than Jerusalem. But what you see in this picture is those pilgrims were going up that incline all around the city to go into worship. And so when that pilgrim gets to a point in time where he looks up and says, I lift my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? Now, if you think with me about what that imagery looks like, is there's all kind of environmental things that could be going on that would create anxiety. Now, you certainly could look up and say, the weather could be bad. I'd be vulnerable to weather. You could say I'd be vulnerable to wild animals. You could say I'd be vulnerable to uh, thieves and robbers. I could be vulnerable even just to the rocks, right? Is if you have, if you are worried about your footing, about the way you would go up, then even a loose rock could create a problem. Now, I got to tell you, as a guy that used to play basketball a lifetime ago, is I had hurt my ankle so many times, I couldn't even walk. I would, in college, go let Ellen into the car, and I'd close the door behind her and walk around my car, and I could turn my ankle walking in a parking lot, and then Ellen's like, what happened to Lance? Because I'm laying on the ground behind my car. I mean, that, for me to think about walking up a mountain, there's just no way I was going to do that. I think what's really significant, though, for us to consider is that the psalmist looks up and he says, I lift my eyes to the hills. I see it. I see the anxiety. There are a thousand circumstances between here where I am and where I want to go. My question is, how do I close the gap? What's my gap? And he answers the question, where's my help going to come? And it's really important that we understand the nature of that word help. Because it's not talking about some level of assistance. It's more than assistance. This isn't, I need a walking stick or I need hiking boots for the journey. No, when we see this word help, it has this connotation is that there is something lacking, that we lack the capacity to solve the problem ourselves. And what the psalmist says, the pilgrim says is, I'm, I'm here and I know that I'm going there. And as I look at that gap, I lack the capacity to close the gap. I don't have what it takes. I need something outside of me that can close that gap. I'm dependent. I don't need a, I don't need a walking stick. I don't need better boots. I don't need better ankles. I need something that is completely outside of myself that can intervene on my behalf because I am totally inadequate to close the gap from where I am to where I want to be. And he has this moment And in those anxieties, he answers his question. Look at where he says in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's where my help is going to come from. Now, recognize, in the first verse, he's in the present tense. I look up. 
I see my need for help. I, I lack the capacity to do what's demanded of me in this journey. But then the verse changes. My help will come from. That's where it's going to come from. Is I'm still at A. I still have to get to B. I see the gap. I'm scared of the gap. The anxieties are there for me because I know that I'm not able to tackle the gap. And what he says is, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to start this journey and my Lord is going to be my help. He's who's going to close the gap. And I trust him at every step of the way. And all of a sudden, we recognize what he doesn't say is, you know what, all of a sudden the sun went away, clouds came over, the weather cooled, the wild animals, wild animals all ran for the hills, the robbers are not going to be there all of a sudden. None of his circumstances changed. None of the circumstances changed. All of those things are still reality. The anxious heart was still there. And yet what we saw in that story, in that verse, is the reality that says, you know what? I'm just going to take it one step at a time. My help is going to show up. Now let's go back to that word help, something that you and I inherently lack the capacity to solve. It's not just assistance. This isn't, I need somebody to come hold my right hand and my left hand to help me walk. No, I lack the capacity to do this, so I need help. And that theme is pretty common in Scripture, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, a very present refuge, he's going to protect me, strength, he's going to help me move forward, present help, he's right here with me now, he's with me, he's engaged in this, and that's where I'm going to find help when trouble comes, from this where I am to this where I'm going, he's with me in this. And then he gives this, this phrase that no matter what happens that we may face in this world, though, therefore, we will not fear that the earth will give way. Even if the earth takes off from under my feet, if the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, the waters roar and foam, the mountains tremble at its swelling. It doesn't matter. My circumstances can go way out from underneath me. You know who's not in danger? The Lord. He's still the refuge. He's still the strength. He's still there. He's the present help in whatever you're facing. In Hebrew poetry, we're not exactly sure what that word selah means, but it's believed to be a rhetorical device to say to the reader, I want you to stop and pause and reflect on what I just said. Now, if you go back to our psalm where it says, I lift my eyes to the hills, and he's looking up and he said, this is the journey I've got? It's really scary. Stop, pause, and reflect, okay? So if God is my refuge and my strength, he's here with me, a very present help in times of trouble. Though the, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. You know what, if I step on the rock, you know, no matter what happens, I'm gonna be okay. Not because my circumstances change, but because I know who my help is, and it's something that I lack completely, and I need divine intervention. And so he comes back and says, you know what? Doesn't matter, mountains fall into the sea, waters roar, it's okay, because I've got my help. Now, the reality that we need to help is not a new thing. The, the word there is azer in Hebrew, and we see that word pop up in Genesis 2, where we read, therefore the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone, I will make him a helper fit for him. Talking about Adam and the creation of Eve, man and woman. 
And in this context, when we look up and look at this verse, is we recognize how significant that word help is. You lack the capacity to intervene on your own behalf. This isn't just assistance. This is the radical intervention of the Lord on your behalf. Because if it's bad for Adam to be alone, and he is alone, exactly what resources did he have to solve the problem? There weren't any. So this azer, this idea of help, is God's divine intervention into your life to solve the gap that you and I are incapable of solving. And so when he comes back around, we've got this great moment where he says, you know what? I need somebody. I need a help. I need my sovereign. I need the all-sufficient Yahweh. We talked about that name last week. It's the personal name of God that he gave to his people. And it signifies the totality of his personality and the fact that he's the covenant-keeping God on behalf of his people. When we talk about what the help is, let's begin with this idea. The foundational help that every person needs is how do we bridge the gap from where we are to where we want to be, to our, our status as a human being who's stuck in sin and in rebellion to God, to moving into being a son or a daughter of the Lord. How do we bridge that gap? Because that gap analysis says the penalty of death, excuse me, the wage of sin is the penalty of death. And so now all of a sudden, see why we need an outside divine intervention? That's the gospel, is that Jesus came to earth, put on flesh, lived a sinless life, went to the cross to pay the penalty for sin, which was death, and then he defeated death and walked out of the grave three days later. See your gap analysis? I'm here and I'm stuck in my sin. The Lord is here and I long to be his child. The gap is I can't do it. And the Lord intervenes on our behalf and sends the help, which requires a divine intervention or a gift from the Lord to do something we were wholly incapable of doing. That's the foundation for every person. We all need that help. The second help here is how do I make it through this life? How do I make it on this journey that I'm in? I know him, but is he still a help? Well, he finds comfort in this. The phrase is really great, right? That my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, go back to your, your school days when maybe you had to get a, uh, an assignment to write a paper. And they told you how many words the paper had to be. And some of us wonderful writers started adding in every adjective we could do just to create more words, right? We would call those filler words. They really lack value, but they give you the word count. Is that what's happening here? I don't think it is. My help comes from the Lord, the one who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the one who made heaven and earth. And all of a sudden, what we're met with is this idea, is that our understanding of creation plays into how you and I live our life today, okay? How we view creation plays into our life today. As the psalmist or the pilgrim looks up and says, I'm looking at these, these hills that you created, God. I'm looking at these valleys that you created, God. Matter of fact, you're the maker of heaven and earth. Everything I see is built on the fact that you built it. You're the creator. And all of a sudden, I think pilgrim finds a level of comfort in that. So let's just take a second and talk about this maker of heaven and earth. Who is he? Well, some people call these attributes. I think Charles Ryrie uh, hits it well when he calls them perfections. It's not just that this is his attribute. He's the perfection of each of these attributes. 
So let's talk about him. This maker of heaven and earth, he's eternal. He's existing endlessly, both backwards and forwards. So think with me. If he's the maker of heaven and earth, he had to exist before heaven and earth were made. Will he ever be exhausted? No, he will never be exhausted. Though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the sea. You know who will be there the next day? Our eternal God. That's right. He will be there eternally. That's who he is. He's holy. He's positively pure. He's separate from all that is common. He is completely righteous and holy. There is no other like him. Exists eternally. He's holy. He's separate positively pure, and he's immutable. Can he be changed over time? No, he can't be changed over time. He's unchangeable and unchanging. The same God who has always been in existence is the one who's always been holy, and he will continue to be holy. We don't need to worry about him changing. He's incapable of changing. And so while we're at it, recognize this, as he is the perfection of love. He seeks your highest good, through both his affection and correction. He seeks your highest good at every point. Well, what if he stops? He can't stop because he's immutable. What if he runs out? He can't run out because he's eternal. Can I trust him? You absolutely can. He's positively pure. So we can keep going. Well, what if he can't follow through? Because he made a promise. What if he can't follow through? Impossible. He's omnipotent. He's the all-powerful one who's capable of anything consistent within his own nature. Well, what's his nature? Well, he's eternal, he's holy, he's immutable, he's love. And he brings all of that to bear for you and me at every moment of every day, maker of heaven and earth. He's also omniscient, knowing all things, actual and possible, effortlessly and equally well. Let me tell you, God has never learned anything. Let that sit there for a second. He knows everything actual and possible. Does he know what you need? Of course he does. Do you think you know what you need? Of course you probably do. But recognize this, when you find yourself on a journey and you say, I'm here and I wanna be here and there's a gap, you and I can try to troubleshoot that or we can lean into the one who's the maker of heaven and earth who knows what you need and he can bring it about and it's for your good and it's always gonna be that way because he's unchanging because he's, thank heavens, he's positively pure. And oh, by the way, he's sovereign. We may find ourselves in a position where we look at him and say, so what if he knows what we need, but he's incapable of bringing it about? Really? He's sovereign. The maker of heaven and earth, that is not filler words. It is not throwaway words. It's not trying to make it longer or make it flowery. The pilgrim looks up and says, oi, I'm here. I've got to get to there. There's a gap. The gap makes me anxious. I don't know how I'm gonna get, I don't know how I'm gonna get there. And you and I are on a journey and you can recognize you're here and you can say, the journey is gonna bring me here and I don't know how to get from here to here. And what I would wanna say is this, the pilgrim finds comfort and rest when he recognizes, you know what? I know where my help comes. I'm incapable of closing that gap at all in any way myself. I lack the capacity to do that. I need divine intervention. And who do I lean into? The maker of heaven and earth, the one who created all that I see. And that's where my comfort's going to come from in this. You hear his encouragement? And yet at the same time, you recognize that none of his circumstances changed. 
None of them changed. He's still saying, okay, I'm here. I got to get here. Uh, okay. I know who's help. I know where my help's going to come from. I know who's going to show up in that moment, and I'm trusting him. And yet sometimes we can get so lost in our head and the anxiety because we don't know all that's going on in Pilgrim's life here. We don't know what he left behind before he came on this journey. We don't know if he's hurt. We don't know who he's traveling with. We have no idea what this pilgrim's facing other than this pilgrim is being obedient to go where the Lord said to go to worship. And as pilgrim goes, all of a sudden we find ourselves in a moment where he says, you know what, I I know where my help's going to come from. But thank heavens that we don't walk this journey or this pilgrimage alone. There's other people. They start speaking into it. We got three couplets that appear. In each of those three couplets, there are two verses each, there is a statement made about God and who he is, and then the second of those two verses is always about the application of what that looks like in his life or her life. So join me if you would as we look down. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. You know, as they start going up here to this journey, who's going to keep me safe? What if I lose my footing? And I think part of what he wants us to say, is it's the Lord that is going to keep you stable and upright. And he uses a metaphor to talk about his feet, but he's talking about more than the feet, right? I mean, what good does it do if your feet stay down and your body falls sideways? That's no help. The idea is, is that our entire body, the feet speak to the whole of the body, is that as I go, am I, am I stable? And am I upright? Am I still moving forward? Regardless of what the circumstances are, is somebody there to help me move forward? And the answer is yes. All of a sudden, it's the Lord watching over his people. He's with you. He's over you. He's a very present help in times of trouble. And the analogy that he uses there is though he could be asleep or he could slumber. You know, one of the things about pagan gods, when people created their pagan gods, they couldn't hardly get outside of their own human experience. A human needs to eat, therefore our pagan gods have to eat, right? Or a human needs to rest, and so therefore our, our, our gods that we create would have to need sleep too. See, we can't even fathom a God that doesn't need food. We, don't, we can't fathom a God who doesn't sleep. And the pagan world may look around like, man, we hope God's awake on this one, because if our God isn't awake, we may be in trouble, because God's only going to be valid as long as he's attentive. Now, recognize this. What the pilgrim hears back, okay, my help, my help's going to come from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And there's somebody in his ear that says, hey, you know what, pilgrim? You need to recognize this. The Lord, he's the one who is going to keep you stable and upright. That one who put everything into motion, the one who's the creator, maker of heaven and earth, the one who loves you, is committed to you, who's completely holy and eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, he's going to keep you upright. And he will never fall asleep on you. He is never going to fall asleep on you. Now, think with me. How many of you have had the joy of one of these conversations? You're with somebody, they reach in that pocket, and they're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm listening to you. Come on, keep talking. No, no, come on, keep talking. I got you. Now, I got to tell you, I didn't really get anything that was staged. In the first service, somebody then texted me. So... It's on do not disturb, and it's on airplane mode. That's how I did this. 
But isn't there something about it that has this idea that says, I'm afraid if he falls asleep or gets distracted that he will not catch what's going on in my life? And the person whispers into Pilgrim's ear, you don't need to worry about that. You have 100% of his attention always. And you're like, how? And you know what? We fall into the same thing that the pagans did when they created their pagan gods is we take our experiences and we put them on the gods that we make. You and I can't even fathom a God who could simultaneously hear the prayers and provide strength to every single one of his sons and daughters in the world at the same time. We could all pray individual prayers right now and he wouldn't be distracted. He wouldn't be put off. He could hear all of it and he would totally be tuned into you. That doesn't make sense. I know, but you're not eternal and he is. And so when we fall into that trap, the pilgrim, I think, leans over, excuse me, the person leans into the pilgrim is like, hey, you know what? He's not like us. I know this is a scary journey. He's not like us. He will not sleep. He will not slumber. He has you from here to here and everywhere in between because the reality is you are wholly incapable of this journey without him anyway. That's why he's with you because he's the one that's carrying you through this. Oh man, can you imagine the comfort? Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. He's the one that's gonna keep me upright in this journey that I'm on. I lack the capacity to do that, but man, maker of heaven and earth, he's with me. You're right, thank you for that. Thank you for speaking that into my ear. Look at the next one. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord, he's your guardian. He's your guardian. He's the one who's stepping in. He's the keeper. He's the animal keeper. Think about a zoo keeper. They provide protection. They provide feeding. They keep you from the things you shouldn't have. They give you access and give you the things you do need. He's that. He's your protector. He's a provider for you of good things. How do we know? Well, because he's pure. He's holy. He's love. He's all of those things all the time. What if he doesn't know? No, he's omniscient. He knows. And all of a sudden, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade by your right hand. The idea, imagine the sun as you go through that valley up that rocky terrain. And think about a keeper. That's what a shepherd is. And that terminology appears so much in Scripture. I mean, Jesus refers to him as himself, where he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd, I will lay down my life and die on your behalf. That's what a good shepherd does. And yet we see other adjectives describe the word shepherd. So follow along. The good shepherd lays down his life to protect you, to provide for you. The great shepherd, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. See, the good shepherd lays down his life. The great shepherd establishes peace between us and the Father. Because when he laid down his life, our trust in him is the good news, that's the gospel, and just like that, we go from being a child of darkness to being a child of the light. We go from being a child of wrath to being a child of the king. See how that works? See, the good shepherd is willing to lay down his life. The great shepherd says, let me establish peace between you and the Father. Because one day, the chief shepherd, when that chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The good shepherd laid down his life for you. The great shepherd established peace between you and God because the chief shepherd one day will welcome you into his presence and you will get this crown of righteousness. What a moment that will be. 
He's our keeper. He's got us. We see how all of that plays in. Think with me about what that looks like. When we think shade, could be a hat. I always think of a tree. I think about a tree with a huge canopy that invites you to sit down on a hot day in the grass and lean up against the trunk of the tree. And imagine just being there in the midst of a journey, in the midst of a hard day, in the midst of whatever, just a sense of having a level of security to lean back and see it. Now, I got to tell you, if you've ever heard of this book, The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein, Shel Silverstein, this is a favorite of mine. Uh, Shel Silverstein uh, grew up Jewish and went off uh, to fight in Vietnam. And when he was over in Vietnam, he came to faith. So he comes back to the United States. He meets up with his childhood friend who was a Christian author named Brennan Manning, if you know that name. He meets up with Brennan Manning, and he tells Brennan that he came to faith. And so Manning asks him a question, what changed? How was it that you, who grew up Jewish, what changed that when you grew up Jewish, somehow you go off to war, you come back, and now you see Jesus Christ, not just as rabbi, but as Messiah? What changed? And Shel Silverstein said, I don't, I don't really know. That's a great question. I haven't thought about it that way. How about we meet up tomorrow and let's have that conversation? And Shel Silverstein went home that night and he wrote The Giving Tree as an attempt for one person to say, this is what life looked like. I kind of always knew the tree. I just didn't trust the tree. I understood that there was rest under the tree, but it provided me a level of rest I could have never understood. And if you follow the story, every analogy breaks down at some point. But know this, if you're familiar with the story, it's the attempt of one person saying, I never understood the tree or what the tree provided or the tree's goodness or what the tree was offering me. And all of a sudden, what we see is the same idea, is that we can look up and say, you know what? There's rest. Because within this, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. God's attentive eye is on you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He never ceases to care for you. There's never a part of time where he's asleep or distracted. He's not slumbering on you. He has you. He is protecting you at all times. Now think with me about how encouraging that is. And yet we're not done because there's somebody else that leans in and says, the Lord. Now last week, if you were here, Joe encouraged us. When you see Lord written that way, that actually is putting where, what the Lord's name was. It was Yahweh in that where we have God's covenant, his personal name, his covenant-keeping name. So to read it that way, Yahweh will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Yahweh will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Yahweh, personal. He has you. He's attentive. He knows exactly where you are. And yet when I come to this, I would imagine there's any number of people in this room that pause, Yahweh will keep you from all evil. And you have that moment where you say, wait a minute, where was he that day? Where was he that day? That's not been my experience. Have I experienced evil? I think I have. And so let's put it in context a little bit. I'm going to share with you a quote from Alan Ross before we move any further, just to kind of settle where we are. Ross writes this, if some harm should come to us, then that must be analyzed by faith to discern the divine purpose in it with all conviction that ultimately the Lord will deliver us from all evil, okay? The lament psalms often ask why calamity 
and suffering come upon the righteous who have been faithful. And you can see Psalm 44 for that. Because you and I can look up and say, well, I, I haven't been spared from all evil. Matter of fact, I've experienced some pretty terrible things in this life. And I would say, you're not alone in that. Matter of fact, there is an entire genre of psalms called lament psalms where you have people saying, Lord, where are you? Where are you in this? I'm trusting that you're good, but this stuff is happening to me. This is real, and I feel it. What do you do then? What do you do on that day? And so let's begin with the idea, and I think Ross draws back to the fact we've got to take it through the lens of faith. Is God capable of doing something where he doesn't sanction the evil? He doesn't sanction the calamity that we're facing. And sometimes calamity and evil are not his, his form of discipline in our lives. You can be faithful and still experience that. Sometimes it is discipline. But let's be really honest. As we move into this, sometimes when we read that he's going to keep us from evil, there are several ways we could process that. We could say he keeps us from evil because he removes the evil. He could do that. He could keep us from evil because we don't buy into and become a participant in the evil. That's another way that he keeps us from it. He could sustain us in the midst of evil so we can make it through it. Or he could call us home, and that would be okay too because we get ushered into his presence. But I want us to recognize a couple of things. As he preserves the believer, the pilgrim on this journey, and I wrote this list because I want to be real intentional in what I'm about to say here that there is no calamity, there is no evil that you have faced where God lacks control. He is true to who he said he is. All of those things and attributes and perfections we looked at are true. So I want to say this, God wastes nothing. There is no pain in your life. There is no trial in your life. There are no tears in your life. There is no suffering in your life. There is no betrayal in your life. There is no abandonment in your life. There is no abuse in your life that God cannot redeem for his good purposes because he will not be held hostage on behalf of any evildoer in this world because he is at work, because he is love. He is eternal. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He is always at work for you. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. He is attentive to you and will keep you in the shade of his love and his goodness at every step of this way. Does life hurt? Life hurts. Recognize none of his circumstances changed. Pilgrim says, that journey is going to be hard. And then he says, but that's okay. Journey remains hard, but I know who has me. I have the maker of heaven and earth walking with me, carrying me in this. And so he's going to move forward in this, wherever they go on their journey. How solid is it? Yahweh is going to keep your going out and your coming in. There's your thing, from your going out to your coming in. And everywhere in between, there's our gap analysis, from your going out to your coming back, everywhere in between, all of it is under the Lord's watchful eye. When? Well, from now and forevermore. Could it really be forevermore? It's forevermore if God is eternal, and he is. So it doesn't get exhausted. He's everlasting. And so we lean into this and say, okay, so where am I going to go? His protection and love and attention for you will never expire, and it will never get exhausted. Matter of fact, he actually says, I'm going to go with you everywhere. Where does he say it? Well, Matthew 28, some of you may know this. The verb here looks like go. It's a participle. The verb is make disciples. That's our calling. That's our journey as pilgrims. Make disciples. Wherever God sends you, make disciples in that moment. 
baptizing them. I think that points to people are coming to faith. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. I think that's discipleship, that we help lead people not only to the Lord, but now in their walk with the Lord. But look at what he says. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That seems to be the way Matthew records it. The psalmist Pilgrim here says, you're going out, coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He's with you. So let's do a little gap analysis. You ready? Whatever your journey is today, you're here. You want to get here. There's a gap. You and I are wholly incapable and inadequate to fill that gap. But the good news is you were never asked to fill the gap. And we are trying so hard to fill the gap. You weren't made to fill the gap. There's only one who can fill the gap. Scripture says he's your help. He's your help. And all those attributes that we talked about are true about him. So just to be really clear, if all those attributes or perfections are true about him, what do we know about his care of you? You ready? He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He's omniscient. You're not. How many of you have had that moment where like, I'm surprised. I didn't know where that came from. That happens to us all the time. He doesn't ever learn anything. He knows you. By the way, Zephaniah 3, he sings over you. Can you imagine that there is someone who loves you and is so completely enveloped in his love for you that they sing over you? That's your help. He sings over you. He upholds you. He's the one holding you up. He's how you're going to get up into Jerusalem. He's the one that will help get you through whatever trial you're struggling with. He cares about you. Not just that he's in this for your performance. He cares about you. He knows you. He loves you. He's committed to you. And matter of fact, so he's watching out over you. He's going before you. He's always in it on your behalf while he guides you. No, not here. Come this way. Walk with me here. Watch me. Let's go do this together. I'm not asking you to go up to temple by yourself. I'm going with you. I'm going to watch over you and guide you every step of the way because the deep reality is I will never ever leave you. That's your help. I don't know what you're facing in your journey, but I know the one who's your help. And he's never once failed me or anybody else. What happens on that day that evil hits? I know we're going to lament it and it's going to be harsh and we're going to struggle, but it doesn't mean that it's not true. He's still our help. He's preserving us in the midst of it. I think Barker uh, and his commentary captures a turn of this phrase so well that I just couldn't, I couldn't not share this when he writes this. In spite of the perils of one's pilgrimage, and we all have them, the believer can exercise trust in the Lord. Catch this. God is neither too great to care, nor are God's people too insignificant to be noticed. Stick with that. God's not so big that he is unaware of what's going on in your life and you are not so small that he could possibly miss you. The quiet psalm reflects on God who quells the anxiety of the pilgrim's heart. And catch this other one, who watches over him or her with a shepherd's gentleness and a guardian's vigilance. Inside with you, all the gentleness of a shepherd to the world that he is engaging on your behalf, a vigilance of a guardian. That's our help. That's the one who loves you and who gives thoughtful benediction to one's daily routines. So I'm going to end today with a bit of a benediction. You may be familiar with it. It's Numbers 6. 
It's probably the most common benediction that you hear. I'm going to replace the word Lord with Yahweh, as we were encouraged to do last week. But hear these words, because pilgrim, whatever your journey is, whatever you're facing today, know this. Yahweh bless you and keep you. For Yahweh to make his face to shine upon you, that Yahweh would be gracious to you, that Yahweh would lift up your countenance, his countenance upon you and give you peace. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.